what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. April 5th. What episode is this? That's what I'm trying to look at. That's what I was trying to ask you earlier because I didn't know if you wanted to call the Atlanta recap. Oh, it's an episode. That's totally an episode. What are you talking about? Okay, so Hold on. I was asking you. Hold Who on. we talked to last week? Gautier. Go time. Okay, so this is actually 72 then, right? Not that it matters or anything. We're getting close to 100. I know. April 5th, episode 72. I saw this thing. You know that iTunes allows you to do seasons? So this would this would be our second season, right? Yeah. Maybe we figure that out and start doing that in the future. Because you can do like right. seasons. So this would be like season two, episode, whatever it is. Okay, I like that. We'll have to figure that out. I've kind of, I got to be honest, man. I've been a little bit out of pocket this week. I, uh, what do you have so busy that you can't even talk to me up here in Oklahoma? I got rear-ended. Like in a car? Yes, definitely in a car. Uh, oh, okay. I was rearing in checking. a car. Come on. Yeah, ah. I was uh, in stop and go traffic on 95 and bam, right in the back. Who hit you? Uh, I don't know. I didn't get his name. I mean, I got his name on the police report, but I didn't talk to him. I didn't, I don't remember. It's so nothing. Are you all right? Yeah, are you I'm fine. Right? It's a whatever. A little, little shooken up, whatever. It's not too bad. It could have been a lot worse, but it's just the inconvenience of all that has been my week so what have you been up to this week you know what i've been taking it easy i got back from ohio sunday evening i went i went to the uh, ice race there in troy ohio I flew in hung out with daryl and Jeannie brentlinger i uh, got to meet their eight dogs got to go to the old harley davidson dealership in north america which was cool uh the race was a lot of fun there in troy ohio and jeremy Orr did what he had to do and came from the back of a pack in the main event and won and locked up the championship. Jake Mattia finished up second in the points, but uh, man, that was a lot of fun. And uh, then I flew home on Sunday and uh, just been taking it easy, counting the days until we get to Texas, which we're only 15 days away. 15 days away, back to being uh, on the dirt uh, in Texas. It'll be a good time. Uh, so it seems like you had a much better week than I did. Yeah, of course I did. I mean, the weather's starting to get nice here in Oklahoma and... Uh, I wasn't in the car wreck. Got yeah. to hang out with my friends and check in with my family a little bit. And yeah. You win. Plus one for Scotty. What's this news about the Indy Mile? You're going to have to bring me up to speed on this. What's going on here? So, just a few days ago, there was a post came out that the Indy Mile, which is actually the Indiana State Fairgrounds, they're actually going to take the dirt off of the Indy Mile and they're going to put on some sort of limestone surface that's supposed to be better for the horses and better for the trotters and stuff like that. And they're also going to use the Indy Mile for parking. For the state fairgrounds so what i'm hearing the indy mile will no longer have motorized events including the hoosier hundred which is a sprint car race there that's been racing there since 1953 so the, this year the last hoosier hundred is going to be in may and uh possibly no more motorcycle races will ever be at the indy mile wow well i see indy mile was like before my time so i never got to see a race there a lot of the riders if you ask them i think brian smith would tell you that's probably his favorite mile even though it's not on the schedule i, I asked brad baker at, in the booth at atlanta or daytona i think and and i said what's your favorite track and you know we're just in between races or something like that and he said the indy mile he said 
when it's groomed right, it's loose up top, it's a groove on the bottom, and, and it puts on some good racing. And uh, for a few years, Carter, the MotoGP was at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and then at night they would all leave there and they would flock over to the Indy Mile. I actually interviewed Kenny Roberts when he rode the TZ750 there. Um, Valentino Rossi was there. I know Nikki Hayden was there a few times. And, and I just have a lot of good memories from the Indy Mile. Um, one of my best finishes on the Super Tracker, which was a different class, was there. Uh, I got a fifth place on that TDM 850 Yamaha. And so a lot of good memories at the Indy Mile. And it's sad that that, that track's going away. Yeah, I mean, even though I I never got to see a race there, but I definitely heard tons of stories. Um, heard lots of riders hoping to maybe one day get back there. So, uh, bummer to see that the dirt's going away, and uh, it's bummer to see that we won't get to get to have a, a pro race back there in Grand National before before it's gone. Did, did you see the news earlier this week? What was that? Mobile View is the is now an official partner and sponsor of the Rookie of the Year in both classes, the AFT Twins and the AFT Singles. So Mobile View is the big screen that comes to all the races that they lift up out of the semi, so everybody can watch the big screen. So I think it's pretty cool that they're going to support you know sponsor our series a little bit. It sounded like a commercial. I, I like the the idea that we have an official partner for the Rookie uh, of the Year in both classes because you know for the first time in a while there's actually some decent riders. Not saying that there haven't been decent riders that are rookies before, but there's actually a decent competition in both classes for the coveted rookie of the year spot, right? Well, especially in the twins class, you know, you got Brandon Price moving up there, you got Colby Carlisle moving up there. You know, Car- Colby was running fifth at Daytona before, or fifth or sixth before he had mechanical, so he still technically has a points already. And then you got, you know, Brandon Price, who's made both main events and he's leading the rookie of the year standings right now in the singles class there's so many new people and then we get one more fast new guy coming up in june when dallas daniels gets his pro card so uh i'm really gonna have to look at my notes and figure out who's in their rookie season and uh you know i'm probably gonna have to talk to the higher ups to to make sure i don't say anything wrong because there's so many new faces i want to make sure that they're considered rookies yeah and that'll be something we see you know progress throughout the season and, and something we can watch all year long watching the because i mean, all it takes is dallas daniels coming in and winning a race and being right up there in the mix, it doesn't matter if he's coming in halfway through the season, right? Well, yeah, if you come in, you know, he's expected to come in and he's expecting to win. I don't know if he'll win right off the bat, but, you know, uh, he's he's fast enough to run up front and, you know, make main events. And, you know, he has to gain points and get more points than whoever's leading the Rookie of the Year standings. He can do it. I'll tell you this, if he's uh, coming in trying to accomplish that goal of crushing all those Scotty Parker uh, records, he better he better start winning right out of the gate. I'm kidding. I mean, that's a that's a huge ask for somebody, a 16-year-old kid coming into that series, the singles class this year, and uh, asking for a win. But, you know, crazier things have happened, I guess. Well, what's crazy about it, Carter, is, you know, the last two rounds, there's been over 60 riders, you know, at Daytona and Atlanta. So just making the main event, you know, half the riders don't even make it to the, to the night program. And then, you know, just makes the main events very hard. So, you know, 16 riders only go to the main. So... I think, you know, realistically, he needs to focus on making main events. But like you said, he's not focused on that. He's focusing on wins. Crazier things have happened. What else? Well, my good buddy Cupcake, Kevin Addington, is going to be the Grand Marshal at the Springfield Mile. And I think that's cool because he was always a crowd favorite. I He raced a long time before he even came around. And I, I wish we could find some old footage for you to check him out because he always had the long hair flowing out the back of a helmet. He always rode you know high wide and handsome is where you know that's what they used to say and and uh 
it basically would take the Brad Bullet line if that that could put it into relation for you because like it, at Santa Rosa when Brad won that race, mm-hmm. he was up there against the air fence. Yep. To me, if Kevin Atherton was still racing, that's where he'd be riding too. That's badass. I'd love to see that. And uh, one day you're gonna have to explain to me why they call him Cupcake. Not today, but. I, <laughs> I, I was gonna say that might be a question for him. Yeah, I know. We'll ask him one day. So another another thing that kind of caught me off guard, and I don't know if everybody caught it the past couple of weeks. Um, I don't even know if we uh, if we even talked about it last week. Atlanta was Bubba's last race as a flagger. Is that right? Yeah, he turned in his resignation. He actually showed me it, it was an envelope, and uh, he said that was going to be it. He said he wasn't having any fun anymore, and uh, he's getting a lot of calls for stunt shows and, and jumping his Harley-Davidson motorcycles, so uh, Atlanta was his last go. That's interesting. It's sad to see him go. I thought he did a great job as the flagger, taking over for Kevin Clark, but, you know, I guess, uh, you know, when, when it's time to go, and, and he turned in his notice. I kind of saw him post something, and I've seen a couple people say something. I haven't seen anything official from AFT, but, so, I like, what, the thing for me, the flagger position kind of sticks out, because the first time I ever saw flat track, that's the first thing I noticed. It was the start and the flagger on the green flag, and it was Kevin Clark. And I don't know if I've told this story before, but like that, the flagger position to me sticks out more than anything else, mostly because of Kevin Clark. I mean, just because of who Kevin Clark is. So I had this idea for this week's episode uh, with the recent news of Bubba. I thought it might be worth talking to flaggers and talking about flagging. Like it's something we've never covered on 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 the podcast. And most people don't probably know like, you know, what they do, who they listen to, what, how they do what they do. I mean, they think they just throw a green and a checkered and then white and red flags when issues happen on the track. Uh, I think it may be worth calling up Kevin Clark, talking to him, seeing what he's been up to since he left AFT, and uh, maybe then touching base with Bubba Blackwell after that. What do you think? I think it sounds like a good idea. I don't know if it's a good idea, but we're going to do it. Let's call him up. Who's, who's first? Kevin Clark. Let's call Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark. New England. Kevin Clark. Recording? Yep. I can't even, I can't believe they have cell phone reception all the way up there in New Hampshire. (laughs) It's ringing. It's ringing. Hey. Kevin Clark, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on a minute. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Where are you at? At a bar? Yeah. I said I was going to go for a beer. I thought you had a beer in your fridge. Ain't been home yet. Oh, all right. So you just work all the time? Yeah, I work all the time, boss. Come on. You know me. Well, I just the people were, that listen to the Off the Group podcast don't know you. So what do you do for a living? Are we live now? We are not live now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first one I tell you when you said editing it and stuff. I'm like going, all right, I get to do a broadcast where I'm, I don't have to worry about how I think. Exactly. Kevin Clark. Uh, how you doing, bud? How you doing, Mr. Chris Cata? <laughs> Sir, what, what are you doing, man? Mr. Chris Cutter. <laughs> I think he's practicing being an announcer. Yeah, you gonna be an announcer? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know my mouth. 
That's fair. Yeah, yeah. They'd probably make a mistake putting a microphone in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guess what we're going to do? Only if, it look, if, I, if I think about it, it's all good. But you know me. When I get comfortable, I, I tend to be comfortable. We're gonna yeah. put a, we're gonna put a mic in front of you and ask you some questions. What do you think about that? It's all good. Are you ready? We're doing this live, or what are we doing? It's what they call live to tape. So I tape it, but I can edit right. it. If you hey. want to edit, edit what you want to edit. There you go. You know me. I'm real. It is what it is. That's all you do is keep it real. Yeah. I don't know so any Ke- other way. So Kevin, what have you been doing? I haven't seen you since Daytona. You been doing all right? Absolutely. So you actually have a real job, Kevin. What What do you do full time? I um I do compliance testing. I'll I'll give one of them shameless plugs out there. My boss Sean Conrad, wicked cool guy, because that's part of my deal when I started working for him was if it's race day, I'm going, and he's been really really cool about that because I give my notice and I leave and. Whatever my vacay is, whatever this is, it all works out in the end. All right. So you have a weird accent. Are you from, like, Australia or something? No. I'm from New England. <laughs> the way I see it. We're the, we're the closest to English compared to England. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that I've got an accent because I'm from Oklahoma? You can say I talk funny, but you know what? I started talking funny before you started talking funny. Okay, all right. I love it. I love it. So so what's your first memory of, of, of a motorcycle? Actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, my, You know how I'm always in Daytona? Mm-hmm. Well, I stay at my buddy's house, uh, John Hansen, whose dad on the motorcycle shop in town. Yamaha dealership, Frank Cycles, who also sponsored, like, Johnny Betancourt. And basically, he was the Yamaha guy back when Yamahas weren't cool. That was, like, my first taste. I uh, was a little rotary six. Oh, wow. That's before my time. Um, I don't even know what those were called. The the, the first real mini bike. The the mini bike on, uh, what is it, on any Sunday. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. The beginning of the movie, the big, the big guy riding down the road with the right, on that little bitty bike. bike. Yeah, yeah, and uh, basically everyone's riding around the yard like cool, and it had a right hand shift and a left hand brake. Well, I kept hitting the shift lever down as opposed to hitting the brake. I don't know why, but because it's like one of those things when you first sit on a bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do this, do this, and this. And it's trying to comprehend it. It's like, nope, that ain't happening. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm going around the yard, and I keep downshifting. Well, when you downshifted on that thing, it was it was four down. So I kept going faster each time I went around my house. Next thing you know, <laughs> I'm I'm flying. I, I squeeze between... Uh, two cars, which the bike literally didn't fit through, kept going straight, and next thing you know, there's a big old pine tree in the way, and I whacked it hard, put the wow. front end back towards the foot pegs, and <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so, so from so, then, it was like, yep, I'm going for it. So that was your first experience. Did you ever race motorcycles? Oh, yeah, I had a pro number and stuff. 
Okay. Absolutely. Well, well, I, I didn't your, get as high as you did because basically it's a financial thing. I was going to ask you what your pro number was. I'm a numbers guy. 86U. 86U. All right. Think of that like when you that. go to a diner. That was my All number. Right. All as right. far as I know, that's the only one that's ever had that number. 86U. <laughs> my brother, Joff, was 83U. My good buddy, Danny, who's a partner with the track with me, is 76U. His yeah. brother... Dave Green was 73U. I mean, that was back in the day where Roger Durkee was, uh, what was it? 86U. I thought you said you were 86U. 96U. I was 86U. He was 96U. So how how long did you race motorcycles? Basically, I bought my first bike when I was about 14. I was racing when I was 15. They changed the rules from 250s to 600s. That would have cost me about six grand back in the day so i was like i'm done and then i ended up uh kicking back as far as racing um always been a supporter and stuff had had a wife and kid and still got the kid and got the wife and went from there (laughs) so how did you transition into being a flagman when did you first start being a flagman oh dude (laughs) you got time for this one sure we do all right, watch you Valley Riders Club, which I'm pretty sure you still don't know how to pronounce that yet, but we're still working yeah. on you, Scotty. Okay, I'll keep trying. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Pete Giamato was in charge of that, and this is before the track was even built. It was back in the Sideways Promotions Day, and had a banquet, and myself, my brother, and Peter sitting out in the, on his back porch, it was nice weather for like February where we were getting, hanging out, sitting on the back porch, having beers, shooting the shit. We just got to talking about the racing and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I, I kind of need a flagman. The guy I got, I, he just didn't have good vibes with him. And I says to Peter, like, you know, I've always been kind of curious about that because I grew up on my dad racing cars and stuff. And back in the day, there was no towers. There was none of this. I mean, everyone was like Al Wilcox as far as being a starter. You know, they 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 had style. They did this. They did that. They just were up in a tower waving flags. You know, I, I kind of dug that. Over the years, I noticed the flare wasn't there. It's like two laps to go. That disappeared till I started flagging again. You know, and I notice and it's coming back, which is cool. You know, it's like trying to communicate with the riders, keep everyone on the same page. Here we go. So Pete's like, he took me up on my offer. A couple of months later, he's like, I got an ice race going on. Come on up. And I flag the ice race, do what I do now. And at the end of the day, Connie, his wife, Connie Giamavo says, we found your niche. And since then, I just keep going with it. Wow. And that was in the, in the, about the mid-80s, you think, right? I'm thinking early 80s. Okay. Because I can remember flagging for Pete for a while, where one time we were up in Maine doing a race, and my kid was two years old. My ex-wife used to assist me on the line. Wow. We had a break. We're looking for the kid, <laughs> and nobody can find him. Top Champagne, there's a carnival going on. 
got a two-year-old kid that nobody can find. Oh, man. After the, after the second time someone looked in the truck, you know how it is traveling. You got all the all your clothes that you're not going to use sitting on the seat. Guess who's under the seats? The kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'd say mid-early 80s, something like that. Okay. So then how did you get hooked up with what was AMA Pro? Now it's AFT. How'd you get hooked up with them? Well, actually, the first time I got hooked up with them was uh, Bruce Boba was the referee. I was trying to get the gig. And um, it was well, not Hagerstown. What, what was the, uh, what was the um, Cush Half Mile in Maryland? Ooh, in Maryland. Now you're testing me. Um, I, I think you rode there before. I know I know for a fact Kenny did. Yeah, I, Chris I, Carl, I raced. Uh, Harrington. Harrington, Delaware. Delaware. Sorry. Yep, yep. Yeah, I raced there. Harrington, yep. Delaware. The regular guy they had, that was, uh, I think, 87. Okay. 87, 89. Um. The regular guy, I can't remember his name offhand, but hell of a guy. He had a wedding to go to, and I pushed it. I mean, I, I remember sending out tapes of me flagging the loud and stuff and stuff where I'm on, like, national tapes type of thing. I was like, yep. And they had hired me on. I remember Dolly Vines was the chief checker. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the night, they came up to me and were like, wow, you are the best. And with the AMA stuff, it, after that race, I, I wasn't involved. The way I got involved with AMA to AFT was uh, Gary Kidd. Okay. Nothing, nothing but love for that guy because Pete had a national up here with Formula USA mm-hmm. back in the day. Are you old enough? Are you catching up to me yet, Scott? Are you yeah, old enough yeah. to me up to this part? Yeah, I, I raced some of the Formula USA stuff too, but I didn't go up to the East Coast with, with that series. I, I ran some of the stuff down here. Okay, then I flagged you back then. Okay. Anywho, with, with Gary, basically, the, it was their first year. They took a chance with Pete, rode a track up in Rochester, New Hampshire, which it was, let me put it this way the first time we went to Lima. Mm hmm. Gary Kidd comes up to me and says, wow, this track's a lot like Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That's so what I get a kick out of whenever I go anywhere in the racing territories. It's like, oh, you, you're from New England. They don't race there. It's like, dudes, we invented this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We've yeah. been doing this longer than you've been a state, you know? There you like... go. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, uh, Gary and Mike Kidd signed the contract when AMA and DMG were, were merging, the start of the merge. Gary and Mike, Gary literally, I, I didn't work for Gary for a couple of years, and he called me out of the blue and says, he's on his way out of the meeting on the way to the airport. He's like, hey, here's the deal. You want to come? do the national stuff. Me and Mike got the gig. You're in if you want. And oh. this is one of the funny parts is Gary's like, the pay sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, 
but you know, promote the sport. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm all about promoting the sport. That's, you know, it's like it's it's something I love. It's something I do, and I I do anything for it. Right on. Do you have a you know favorite? That. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. You do that. You, yeah, You're in the exactly. same boat as me on that. Exactly. We love the sport more than anything else. So, do you have a, a favorite flagging memory? <laughs> How many? <laughs> what's your what's your what's your top one? What's your most favorite? Oh my god! Well, I got I got Brad Baker doing a wheelie by me on a semi at Super Prestigio. Mm-hmm. That's on my business card. The next year, I got the same thing with Mark Marquez. Right? Was that memorable? Absolutely. Yeah. One of my That's favorites cool. was like Sammy Helbert. He popped out from the third row. I got my knee on the on the ground, and I seen him moving at Springfield. Yeah, literally, that was looking death in the face. And at the end of the day, I goes up to Sammy. He's <laughs> like, "I hope I got didn't get in your way." He's like, "No, nah, I would have run you over." I was like, "That's cool." <laughs> there you go. That's cool. Yeah, and then the stat of people getting, or the higher ups getting wound up at me, was uh, Corey Texter. He pulled out from like forty feet back. <laughs> right. Okay, let me move over. Let me move over. You know how many people thought I was going to get runned over? Probably everybody in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, more than that. I mean, I yeah. I got crap for that. It's like that. That makes it a memorable moment. And the funny sure. thing is, after the end of that, I see Corey. I was like, I have, you know, going for the hot dog or the pee or whatever. And right. we have to cross paths. And I said to Corey, like, hey, dude, you, you you good? I mean, you know, I didn't mean to mess you up or not. And he was like, yeah, we're good. And I'm like, cool. Right, right. Gotcha. So uh, other memorable moments. Like, oh, my God. McHugh. Bree McHugh. Okay. Little girl, like ten years ago, we we did um, riding schools back in the day where she's been into it. She's walking around the track, you know, you know how you do the track walks on the mm-hmm. schools type of thing. Yep. Well, she's she's right there. She's paying attention and she's holding a little dolly. Uh, a few years back, she was up to an eighty. And it's a right. cool picture on the motorcyclist post where she's crossing the line, the truck, because I don't use the paint at my track because it's just cheaper. Right. But basically, you can see the dust off the back tire from the truck, mm-hmm. and she's crossing the line. And I got the flags displayed very well, and that made the front page of the motorcycle post. I mean, I can, I can go on and on on this stuff. Sure. So, yeah, it's like, sure. I got so many different memories. It's like crazy. Right. I mean, Jared Meese going down Daytona. Hell, they're still using that on their commercials. Right. Yeah. You've you been know? there and had a lot of highlights and, and stuff like that. And you got to go over to Spain. And, and one cool thing that I liked about when you went over to Spain, you took your mom with you over to the Super Prestigios. And that was really cool. Oh, I took, I took my ex-fiance with me. I took mom. I mean, that was yeah. the first time I went. My my girl had a stroke in October. I get the call in December, 
and literally dropped her off at her mom and dad's to keep an eye on her so I could go over to Spain. Wow. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. That, yeah. Nobody does. But right. <laughs> the way I'm wired. Right. When, when Mark Marquez and his team called for you to go flagging over there, you drop what you're doing literally and go flag. So, uh, yeah, some people just don't quite understand that. So a couple of years ago, uh, parted ways with American Flat Track. What have you been doing since you since you left the, the series? Catching up on my life. Okay. All right. Literally. I yeah. mean, uh, Wachusett Valley Riders Club. I haven't been involved as much as I want to be. So you're spending more time at the racetrack. Are there you got a, a bunch of events coming up, or when's your when's your first event at that new at the track you're working at? Wachusett. Go with me, Scotty, because I know Wach- I want to train you how to say this. Wachusett. Wachusett Valley. Uh-huh. Wachusett Valley Riders Club. Riders Club. All right, so we'll we'll check that That's out. We'll figure Facebook out when the next Okay. Schedule this year, basically going uh, one race a month until October. We start in May. Okay. How how big's and the track, Kevin? A fifth mile. Okay. And oh, uh, oh, and by the way, it's the only Cush fifth mile that I know of. Okay. Is the dirt like Lima? No, no. The dirt's the dirt is very forgiving okay it, uh it drinks so much water you couldn't imagine so you can set it up for the weather we're in new england up here right. i mean right now we're under 50 degrees and what it does is you can start with this track in the beginning of the year with a new tire mm-hmm. at the end of the year the knobs will still be on your tire Wow. Very forgiving. Not surprising seeing four wide coming out of turn four. Who, who's the fast it's guy that, who's, who's the fast local guy that's there? Alan Hildebrand. Okay. Right. He's one of the uh, loud national top dogs. Uh, Troy Estabrook. He just rides at the track. He rides wherever. He's he, he don't do the road race. He's just a dirt tracker. He's a smoker up there. Um, basically this fast guys. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what happened in Atlanta. Uh, Bubba Blackwell handed his, his resignation. I seen it coming. I seen it coming when they hired him. He actually gave me a heads up in Daytona and Bubba, if you're listening to this, you got my card, call me because you didn't give me your phone number (laughs) (laughs) anytime, but whatever. Right. Right. I don't know what the deal is on that. You know that more than I do, don't you? Yeah, I, I just wanted to hear what your opinion was. So, do you know who's who they're replacing him with? Have you heard? Well, from you tell me first. <laughs> what did you hear? I heard he's, it's a guy from a race car series, but that's about all I know. All right. What I heard is this guy from Texas. Okay. He's referred to as the Big P. The Big and, P. And yep, that's what I hear. All right. And other than that, I have absolutely no idea. Do, do you know what the P stands for? <laughs> I figured he's a rap star or something. Oh, okay. All right. Like, like Master P, it, this is Big P? I figured P? after Bubba, well, uh, like you said, Atlanta. Like, oh, yeah. You know what my favorite you're saying this year. Do you, does anyone remember Bubba doing last year Atlanta? When the first heat race came around that fucking corner out of turn four, 
and he's yeah. out in the middle of the track with a green flag where he literally fucking turned and looked towards the fucking infield and ran. Yeah. All right. I got replaced by a daredevil. Yeah. So what's that make me? That means well, you're a super. Are you? Are you smart? super? No, a superhero. No, I don't know. A superhero. I think you're a superhero. You tell me. I mean, you really want to get into it? We'll get into it. Because I, mean, right. like, I saw that, I was just like, "Oh my god, you know cool. the deal." Yeah. Are you going to be at Laconia this year? The new national. So my plan was to tr- have like a pro hooligan type of thing quick short show and have a big ass clam bake lobsters clams and welcome to new england it's going to be the laconia is going to be the first national dirt track in new england since the beginning of time wow as far as ama and stuff and all that right correct me if i'm wrong there, there was there was an AMA asphalt race, which happened to be the only asphalt race in AMA history that happened in uh, oh up in Maine. I'm trying to remember the, uh, Oxford, Maine. Okay. But as far as dirt track, it ain't happened. So my big gear was to have like a big, hey, welcome to New England. My track's exactly. I think it's two hours from Loudon. So you can stop in on Friday night, have some fun, eat good, and go off to Loudon. Get up at eight in the morning. You'll be there plenty of time to sign up. That sounds like a fun deal. Right? You coming? Yeah. Well, absolutely. If, if if I'm invited, I'm coming. Your invitation's open. All right. But I'll here's be there. the kick. But <laughs> but here's the kicker. All right. It might, <laughs> it might it not happen yet. Okay. <laughs> it might not gotta, happen yet. You got to let us know. Well, they're talking about doing uh, X Games qualifier East Coast the same I night. That, I haven't heard that yet. Oh, yeah. Well, we're at the end of the episode already. It's time for Graham's question. That's my grandma. I don't know if you listen to the podcast or not, but she always asks a question. We save it for last. So she wants. Oh, my God. Nothing but love. Nothing but love for grandma, man. All right. All right. She wants to ask. She wants to. on the phone call. I want to give her a hug and kiss because I didn't see her in Daytona this year. She she didn't go to Daytona this year. She skipped it, but she's planning on going to the, the West Coast swing. So she'll be in Springfield, but. I don't know how far east she's going this year. But anyway, she wants to know if you can put into words the feeling of being on that front straightaway, especially like on a mile, when those bikes go by you at about 140 miles an hour. What does that feel like? (laughs) For myself, I'm dyslexic. I don't comprehend speed like most people do. Okay. But when you're at the mile at like Springfield or anything, the one thing I suggest to everybody that ever shows up there is basically what you want to do is when they first go out or the heats or whatever, put your nose on the fence. The closest you can get to the track and you put your nose on the fence and don't look at them coming. Just look straight ahead. And what what happens is, if you're paying attention, you feel the wind 
pull. As the bikes are coming to you, that you can feel them pulling the wind. As you look straight, you don't even know what you're looking at. Way after they go by, you feel the heavy breeze after. Myself, when I'm out there, I don't want to hurt anybody. I want to put on a show, but I, I it's, how do you explain it? Total awareness. Right on. You know what I'm saying, love, Grandma? Yeah. It's yeah. total I, awareness. I, I love that answer, Kevin, because my favorite memory as a little kid going to Springfield for the very first time, I came through the front gate because we didn't have pit passes, and I walked straight up to the fence at the finish line, and I did that, and I will never, ever forget that day because they were going so fast. It felt like I was in an IndyCar race or something like that. That's how. That's the, that's the only way I can describe it because they were just going so fast when they went past us. It's crazy. It's 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 something you can't. I mean, I'm describing it. You're describing it, but you you got to experience it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's you can't. It's hard to put into words, and everybody will will feel it. But you got to do it. And I I agree with you. You know, tell everybody to come to the races and and check it out firsthand. So we're at the end of the podcast, and this is your chance to say thanks to anybody. If you want to say thank you to anyway, here's your chance. Well. Wachusett Valley Riders Club dot com or on Facebook. Uh, my own site. I got a uh, flagman Kevin Clark. I got to thank my boss, uh, Compliance Testing Services, because he lets me do what I do. And as far as you know, everyone's wound up because I'm not doing the pro stuff. I'm right there with Flat Out Fridays. I'm. I'm with other organizations, Flat Out Fridays, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where we're on ABC, not ABC Sports, not NBC Sports, ABC. The other cool thing is uh, Flat Out Fridays will be running a race in um, first weekend in uh, May. It's down in um, Tennessee, right by the Dragon's Tail, the Halley Shop down there. I, I can't remember the name of them offhand, but wicked cool setup. Have you been there yet, Scotty? No, not yet. I got to check it out. Go. <laughs> Bubba's on the wall. Bubba's been there. They right got on. a concert stage. They got a concert stage set up at the Halley shop. Wow. It's like real cool people, real cool setup. And that's happening um first weekend in uh May, 3rd and 4th if I remember rightly, but like yep. I said earlier, I don't have a calendar in front of me. That's all right. We can check it out. You can let us know for sure on your social media. But we appreciate the time, and, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at Laconia. And, and uh, man, good catching up with you, Kevin. We appreciate your time. Yeah, Scotty, call me sometime. All right. <laughs> I got your phone number now, so you, you better look out. Uh, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Kevin Clock, ladies and gentlemen. Love you a lot, buddy. Love you, Have too. Fun See you later. Everybody. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Dude, I I can never get enough of that guy. I, I I lied. I can totally get enough of that guy very easily, but I still love the shit out of him. Dude, he's hilarious. And and he's so much fun to be around. He's got so many stories and he always rubs it in my face that he's from New England and I'm from Oklahoma and I don't talk right. I definitely miss seeing that dude out there flagging for sure. He's uh I don't know if I mentioned it on a previous episode or what, it's the first thing I saw when I 
was turned on to flat track was the the flag man that's what kind of like caught my eye. i was like whoa look at that whoa and it was kevin clark so love that dude will always have a special place in my heart for that flag man uh and no offense to bubba but like he's my favorite love kevin that's all right i mean they both had different styles and they did. you know kevin clark's been doing it for a long time bubba just did it for you know one full season and a couple races so they have different styles and you know what what i learned from that interview is Kevin actually was hired by Gary Kidd when they took over the Platte Track Series, and I was hired by his brother, Mike Kidd, who's a former Grand National Champion. So sounds like we started our pro flat track careers at the same time, so that was kind of interesting to me. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot in common. Like he said, we, we both do it for the love of the sport, and uh, we have, you know, different jobs, of course. But, uh, you know, Kevin's still involved. He does do take, takes care of his local track. He's doing flat-out Friday stuff. Uh, I'm hearing the Super Prestigio is coming back in Paris this fall, and uh, he'll be a part of that as well. I, I'm hoping to go back to that one again, and and uh, it was cool to to hear his side of the story and and Bubba's as well. You know, Bubba left on uh, his terms, said he wasn't having any fun anymore, and it was time for him to do something else. We haven't talked to Bubba yet. Oh, let's give him a call. I'm calling. I gotta look up his number. Use your '80s phone. And push those buttons. There it is. 80s. That's what it sounded like when you had the touch button phones. I know, you weren't born yet. <laughs> wow. You little kid. It's ringing. Hello? Is this the world-famous motorcycle jumper extraordinaire, Bubba Blackwell? <laughs> Scotty, what's going on, my friend? Nothing. What are you doing? Just sitting here chilling out in bed, sitting beside and, my sweet baby and rubbing the baby and uh, drinking hot tea, believe it or not, man. I'm, you're in bed already? Is the, the sun's not even down. You're in bed already? I'm, I didn't say I was sleeping. Oh, <laughs> thanks for clearing that up for say. me. I appreciate that. So, uh, right what have you been? What have you been doing since the last time I saw you in Atlanta? Well, I actually uh, went down to Bonskir, Alabama, and got the rest of my stuff. Okay. And now everything I own is up here in Spotty Daisy, Tennessee. Can, and, can, you, uh, can you hold on? Time out. Time out. Can you not live yeah, somewhere yeah. else where it's easier for this guy to announce like? First, it was Bon Secours, <laughs> Alabama. I can't even say no that way. without sounding like a hick. And now you're in some salty daisy, Tennessee. Can't we just say Chattanooga? Just, let's go with Chattanooga if it makes you feel better. I'm just trying to be correct. But, man, it's uh, it's, it's part of the whole Bubba thing. You know, you got to live in some place a little interesting. But uh, that's about it. And um, uh, just got through booking plans. Me and Reagan are going to go up to uh, my daughter, Reagan. We're going to fly up to Boston uh, at the end of April and have a little daddy-daughter holiday thing up in Boston at an anime thing. She's into cosplay and all that fun stuff. So we're yeah. going to go up there and have a blast. And and uh, then I got to get busy. I got some motorcycle jumping to do. You got some jumps, you got stunt shows, you got a bunch of that coming up, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But let's talk about the old days when you when you first decided that you weren't going to make it as a professional flat track rider and you wanted to start jumping motorcycles. I mean, <laughs> you, you 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 road raced for a while too. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna skip over that part because you were a pretty pretty fast road racer. 
But let's walk through the, the decision. Do you remember that day when you decided you wanted to be a professional motorcycle jumper? Well, it was not a real one day in particular. It's just that I was, uh, uh, I, to my surprise, I found out that I was a pretty fast motorcycle road racer. You know, I, I did the foolish thing. I bought a new van. I bought a new motorcycle. And I thought I could go road racing. Well, that's great. But what are you going to do for entry fees and brand new tires and all that stuff? So after a couple races, I realized, well, I, I think I can do this pretty darn good. But hell, I can't afford to do it anymore. So uh, over the winter time of 1987, I sold the van. I bought a $400 van. That's no lie. It was a piece of crap, $400 Dodge van, and uh, I got rid of the payment of my new van. I bought a race engine for my GSX-R750, and I saved up all of my money. I bought used tires to go down to Daytona in 1988, so I drove all the way from Somerdale, Alabama, all the way to Daytona by myself in this old piece of crap van unloaded in the dirt and i did i went out and i won daytona uh, i won the ama super sport uh championship that year i won uh 13 out of 16 races and man i, I just knew that road racing was going to be my future and over the winter of 88 89 i had a whole bunch of new sponsors things were going to be great went right back down to daytona and i fell and broke both of my arms and man what a shocker that was. Um, you know, obviously with two broken arms, you kind of find out who your friends are, you might say, but, um, it just kind of reevaluated everything. In my opinion, I was watching all of these racers go out there and get hurt and go crazy for a trophy. And yet the event promoters were, you know, rolling nice new cars and RVs and really balling. And I started thinking, well, those guys are going to be racing next weekend with or without me. I want to try to create a way that I can be a, a product. Uh, you know, if I'm not there, the show doesn't happen. And that's when I revisited the idea of doing Harley stunts. Uh, this was in 89-90 when Harley-Davidson motorcycles are really making an enormous comeback. And I found out through the grapevine that Harley dealers had to have uh, – I think at the time was like nine outdoor events a year to make Harley Davidson happy. And again, these dealerships were making really good money. And I was kind of thinking, well, you know, if they do nine outdoor events and at this time it was about 600 dealerships, I thought, well, there's a really good opportunity to be a, a motorcycle stunt rider like evil can evil, because God knows everybody knew who he was. He rode a Harley. And, uh, I, I, put together a postcard and I sent out these postcards to all these dealerships all over the country and I'd get one or two or three of them back and we would go and put on these shows jumping a Harley and everybody loved it you know drew a big crowd and all this fun stuff and but I you know I kind of kept it in perspective I wasn't going to go out there and do this world record jump for no money so I was just doing these little shows and eventually I started kind of getting antsy wanting to do something big and um, I got in touch with a promotional group at the time it was called Pace and then it was SRO standing room only and they did all these big monster truck shows inside of these auditoriums that I, I saw Evil Knievel jump in uh, and all these videos so naive I sent them a uh, a video or photos and whatnot and they called me back 
and said, um, man, we'd love to have you jump your Harley at some of our monster truck shows. Give me a price for like 14 events. And I remember seeing stars and like, oh my God, this is amazing. 14 events. So I gave him a little bit of a cut rate price. I sent it in. The guy sends back this contract says, here's, here's a contract for two events. We'll send you more later. And I'm like, uh, okay. And by golly, that's why I learned the very first promoter's trick. You know, the promoters <laughs> want you to get into the game as cheap as they can get you. And they make you all these promises. And then, you know, then they make you, uh, make you work for low money. And then they forget about the uh, promise. So I learned quick that that wasn't the arena I wanted to be in. But I started thinking crazy thoughts. Wait a minute. I'm going to be up in Seattle, Washington this weekend. And then in two weeks, I'm going to be down in San Diego. And Jay Leno's out on the West Coast. And it's kind of funny, Scotty, because sometimes you, you, you throw protocol to the wind and you just wing it and go for it. I sat down and wrote a letter to Jay Leno. And I thought, well, I don't want to send it to the Tonight Show. There'll be a thousand daggum pieces of mail comes in there every single day. Why in the world would I want it to get mixed up? So remember, this is back before the Internet. And uh, I had a friend of mine that knew his home address. And so he gave me Jay Leno's home address, and I put this letter together with a couple of photographs, and I FedExed it to his house. And, man, to my surprise, I came home from work one day, and the little answer machine lights blinking. And I pushed the button, and it was Jay Leno said that he had gotten my letter. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for sending it along. Looks like you're going to have a great year. Keep the rubber side down, and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot. And I thought, holy crap, man, what a phone call to miss if I'd have just been here. But um, to my surprise, about three days later, I get this phone call from this producer from The Tonight Show, and we started talking and talking and talking and all these plans and ideas. And he kept going, and I was, and I was getting starry. I couldn't believe it. This guy was really going to have me on The Tonight Show. And I got so excited about it that um, I started thinking, well, maybe this is my stepping off point. Maybe this is where I tell Coca-Cola. Uh, that I'm no longer going to be a Coca-Cola salesman. I'm going to be a stunt rider. And uh, we finally get a date, March 21st, 1995. And that was the set date that I was going to be on The Tonight Show. And so I sat down and I started thinking about what all I wanted to do. And holy crap, I'm going to step off. So I get in touch with my boss at Coca-Cola and he says, uh, so what do you got going on? And I told him, and I thought he was just going to go crazy on me. Instead, he goes, well, look, he said, I went to, to college on baseball scholarships. And he said, and I always wanted to know if I had what it took to go to the big leagues. He said, you've done a good job for us here at Coca-Cola. He says, I say, go for it. And if it doesn't work out, just simply come back. And I thought, wow, there's the perfect uh, safety net. So about a, a week or so goes by, and I go back, and I do my exit interview with my boss. And he does put on my uh, exit interview that would strongly recommend for rehire. So all that's done. I turn in my company car and I get back and I go home that day. And now I'm like without a job. So I walk into the house and, and Scotty, this is not the next day. This is the same day that I quit Coca-Cola. I go into the house, the little lights blinking on the uh, answer machine. I push the button. And it was a guy from The Tonight Show saying that there's been a problem. The lawyers are starting to get scared. Uh, looks like we're going to have to postpone it. And, and in television talk, what that means is we've got to cancel it. And I remember sitting back after listening to that answer machine message, and I thought, oh, my God. 
I'm just so defeated. I can't believe this huge dream of mine that I just, I just knew was going to make me this rock star just canceled. And I just quit this great job with Coca-Cola. So as that hot flash runs through your body thinking you just made the biggest mistake of your life, the other thing that wells up inside of you is like, well, I'll show you. I ain't quitting. I ain't going back to Coca-Cola. I'm going to make this happen. And so I remember just uh, having a lot of selling to do to make sure that I could still just, you know, work odd jobs and still go after this dream. And, um, you know, that's what I did. I just worked odd jobs and I do shows as much as I could. But I remember uh, after about a, after about two years after leaving Coca-Cola, I was ready to throw in a towel. I was uh, not really working enough to keep the bills paid. I was behind on some payments, and I was just really ready to throw in the towel and put my tail between my legs and go back to Coca-Cola and say, listen, can I please have my job back? And I get this all of a sudden magical phone call from John Atwood in Boston, Massachusetts, and he says, uh, hey, Bubba, we're opening up the world's largest Harley-Davidson dealership, and it's going to be 86,000 square feet. It's going to be across the street from where we are now. And um, what do you think you can do for us? And I said, well, you know, this is funny, Scotty. I'm sitting there thinking, hell, I'm, I'm dang near about to get everything I own repossessed. But I figured I'm going to roll the dice. And he says, uh, so what do you think you can do for us? And I says, well, if you're going to open up the world's largest Harley dealership, you might as well do it with a world record Harley Davidson jump. And he goes, all right, what would that be? I says, well. Evil Knievel always kind of exaggerated everything he ever did, but you can always go to video footage and see what's true or what's not true. He jumped 19 cars. I'll jump 20. And he goes, okay. He said, all right, how much? I said, 30 grand. And, and you have to understand that. I've never been paid more than five grand in my life. And uh, <laughs> I'm behind on everything. And I tell him $30,000 and he goes, all right, sounds good. Let's do it. Oh, man. <laughs> and I thought I was going to pass out. And the cool thing is, within two weeks, I was on an airplane going up there to do this press conference, and I came home with a check for $15,000. They let's say I caught up everything, and I couldn't believe it. And what I wanted to do is make sure that I maximize this opportunity. And at that time, a guy came over from Europe named Gary Rothwell, and he was riding a GSXR 1100 with the front fairing off of it and these motocross handlebars doing all these wild and crazy stunts, I kind of thought, well, you know, in ni- oh, this is 1999 now. So in 1999, Harley-Davidson is selling absolutely everything in the world. They don't need me for squat. But they had just acquired Buell, controlling interest in the Buell Motorcycle Company. And I thought, well, you know, they're not really setting the world on fire with that thing yet. I'm going to jump this Harley. But how cool would it be if I had a Buell motorcycle that I could put in the show, add length of time to the show, and, uh, you know, maybe that's my inroad. Maybe I could get Harley's attention through Buell. And so this Gary Rothwell guy was going to be down in Daytona. So I got in my truck one morning, and I drove all the way to Daytona. I pulled in there, and all I came to see was this Gary Rothwell. And I had seen a photograph of this guy doing a wheelie sitting on the handlebars, and I thought, well, that's just out of the question. I ain't going to do that. That guy's nuts. But I wanted to see what else he did in front of a crowd and how they reacted to it. So maybe it was something I could do and then, you know, make that part of the show. 
So sure enough, I go down there, and this guy comes out, and he does all these crazy things on this GSXR, and it comes time for him to crawl up on the gas tank, throw his feet over the handlebars, and do that wheelie sitting on the uh, handlebars. And he did it, and it was cool, but to my surprise, Scotty, the crowd didn't erupt. It was like, oh, that's cool, you know. But what he did do was he started doing a burnout. And then he started going through the gears on this burnout. And by this time, this engine's screaming, the tire's just going crazy, smoke everywhere, and he does it until the tire pops. Well, that crowd liked to come unglued. Man, they thought that was the greatest thing in the world. But me, I started thinking, well, hell, I can do that on a moped. You know, that's, that's <laughs> easy. So I immediately got in the truck and drove all the way back home. The next day, I called John up on the phone. I said, John, you're a Buell dealer. I says, for the back half of the money that you owe me still, which is $15,000, oh, my God. I said, John, uh, why don't you send me one of those Buell uh, uh, S1W Lightnings? I'll put that in my show to add length of time to the show so that when we get all those people there, we, you know, we're putting on the show. He goes, oh, that sounds good. So sure enough, about a week later, he sends down this Buell in the box, brand new. I opened it up at the local Harley dealership. We fired it right up, and I went down the road, and I thought, holy crap, you're kidding me. This bike had all the power of my XR750, but it was extremely, amazingly smooth. Had amazing brakes and all this stuff, and I thought, holy crap, this is a real, this is a real bad motorcycle. I like it. And so that's what I did. I put that uh, – uh, bike into my show so when i went up there finally and i did the jump up in boston the great thing was fifty thousand people showed up to the jump and i opened the show with doing these buell stunts a couple wheelies and whatnot and you know i was kind of kind of new and fresh at it i didn't really know much but i could wheelie anything and my stoppies consisted of coming to a stop and barely getting the back wheel off the ground and uh but I did the burnout thing to the tire popped, and man, that crowd went nuts. So I do this costume change. I go back to my dressing room, and I come back out in this new suit. And at this time, we kind of the momentum of the show gets a little more serious. We're right in the middle of uh, Route 16 in Everett, Massachusetts. It's never been shut history. There's 20 cars lined up. There's people everywhere. And for whatever reason, I got on my XR750, went out there and done a couple wheelies, and I went to the top of that ramp looking over all of these cars. And my first thought, to be honest with you, is what the hell did I do to get myself in this position? But I said I'd do it. <laughs> There's people everywhere. And the cool thing is, Scott, is I roll back down the ramp. I back down, and I reach over, and I turn the engine off. And the guy comes over to check on me. Hey, were you okay? And I said, give me the microphone. So he gives me the microphone. I go up the ramp, and I'm looking around, and there's people everywhere. Oh, my God, I've never seen so many people. And they're going, ba 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 It's so cool. It's the greatest feeling in the world. But I got this, I got this plan in mind. I got to be Mr. Showman. So I go to the ramp. I look around. Everybody's here, ba 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 And I grab the microphone. I say, guys, there comes a time in every daredevil career when maybe a daredevil's just bitten off a little too much. Boo! Boy, they, I mean, immediately they went from going, blah, 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 to boo, you suck. You know, they was all thinking that I was going to quit. 
I turned back around with a microphone. I said, but today's not that day. Let's get it on. And so I go back down, fire up the bike, turn around, and, and thank God I made that jump. And, uh, I mean, the place just erupted. It was like the greatest experience of my life. Uh, you know, uh, I go back to the landing ramp after the jump, and the people are just going bonkers. And I see this little kid who kind of got mashed up against the uh, bicycle fencing, um, and, and, and I had my helmet there and I already planned to give the leather suit to my sponsor, uh, George shot up in Lewiston, Maine, but this helmet, I see this little kid get smashed up against it, uh, uh get smashed up against the fencing. And I just look over at him and I point at him. I said, get that kid right there. And, and man, all these big goombas right there in the middle of Boston, they, they pick this little kid up, put him over the uh, railing. He comes up the landing ramp and I give him that helmet. And, uh, you know, sent him on his way. And then they grabbed me and put me on their shoulders and carried me out of there. It was just the coolest feeling in the world. And, um, you know, like I said, man, I'm just a guy who's done so darn many cool things in my life. I, I, I can't believe how many things have come true, all of my dreams. And that was one of many. But I immediately in one day broke Evil Knievel's record. I mean, I flashback, I'm a 10-year-old kid sitting in the lunchroom and all of us talking about Evil Knievel and what he'd done on television over the weekend. I had just surpassed his world record. And, you know, it's just a, it's amazing. So we just went on from there, just kept going. Is that your favorite jump? Well, yeah, because there was no other reason to be there and we pulled 50,000 people. That's just insane. I couldn't believe it. But we had great event promoters, people that knew how to get people's attention. And I learned an awful lot by doing that. But um, whenever they canceled my Tonight Show thing, I kind of thought that would never resurface. Uh, the very next year after the Boston jump, I did a jump in Del Mar, California. And it got a lot of West Coast attention. And... Uh, the Tonight Show called me right after and said, hey, let's talk about this again. And, you know, the cool thing is, uh, Scotty, in 1995, if I would have went on the Tonight Show, it would have been pretty cool. But it would not have come off polished. I, would, I didn't have much experience. I really didn't know how to act. But when they came calling in 1999, I had four more years of, uh, you know, experience. Um, had a four more years of money saved up. And when they called us to come back, um, I sat down and made all these plans. I, I, I literally made a business plan on being on the Tonight Show, all the things that I wanted to hit, uh, things I want to capitalize on, things I want to make sure I did, and things that I made sure I didn't want to do. So when they came calling again, I jumped 14 semi-trucks live on the Tonight Show. Um, and it was possibly one of the coolest experiences ever because to my surprise i've done a bunch of tv shows and usually the uh, uh host of the show they kind of stay kind of off you know they they kind of want the spontaneity to be all on camera uh they they pretty much to be honest with you they're really not interested in you they're just doing their job but jay leno came to my uh, uh dressing room he hung out with us while we were uh, building ramps i mean possibly the coolest guy I've ever met that's a huge celebrity. And um, I remember we went to commercial after the long interview. I, I 
they went to commercial. I reached down, I picked my helmet up, and I'm putting my helmet on as I'm walking out the back door to get on the jump bike. This is all done, like, you know, one after the other. So I get on the jump bike. I'm, I go into this building, no speed runs, no nothing. And I made the daggum jump. I mean, it's scary as crap looking back on it, but I was so worked up, you know, wasn't nothing to it then. I rode in after the jump, rode in up on stage, and all that was great. And and I remember when it was all done, when it was all said and done, you know, thanks, everybody, for watching. Good night, you know. And I go back to my dressing room, and I pull that little, uh, you know, Bubba Blackwell uh, door tag that's on the door, and I put that, obviously, away. I want to make sure I didn't let that get away from me. And I, and I get at the rest of my belongings in the dressing room, and I stop for just a second. I thought, you know what? What if this is as big as it gets? And I kind of took a deep breath, and I looked around, and I thought, well, you know what? It either is or it isn't. But by golly, I did this. And it's just another another amazing milestone. I mean, that gummit, Scotty. I'm a redneck nobody from nowhere, Alabama, and I was on The Tonight Show. And I did it, you know, I made the jump and it was cool. And I don't think I embarrassed myself. All my guys looked great in uniform. It just went so cool. And I left there and I I kind of thought, well, you know, what's next? And lo and behold, I, I get a call to come back down to Del Mar. And uh, uh, my, my agent uh, at the time is a fellow by the name of C.K. Spurlock. And CK was the uh, exclusive booking agent for Kenny Rogers for a whole bunch of years. He's an extremely successful man, not only in uh, entertainment, but he owned a gambler sprint car racing company. And he actually got Rick Hendrick into NASCAR. Uh, Him and Rick Hendrick started the all-star race team with uh, Tim Richmond and uh, Jeff Bodine. So, um, you know, I've got all of these people around me. And I think that true genius in life is whenever you're smart enough to realize how dumb you are and you surround (laughs) yourself with good people and good advice. And um, I've just been lucky, man. I've uh, done some really cool things and just been blessed. And and the one thing I refuse to do is get mean, bitter, and angry uh, about the work environment that I find myself in. And so – I'm going back to stunt riding and jumping, and uh, me and Sweet Baby got a little baby on the way. It'll be here in August, and life is great. So is the little baby going to be a boy or girl? It's going to be a little girl. Her name is Harley Cottrell. She's due August the 11th. And uh, um, Woody from out at uh, Buffalo Chip called me earlier this year that he wanted a big jump this year. AFP is going to be there on Sunday night. There's going to be Monday with nothing to do. And then, of course, Tuesday was the AFT race in uh, Rapid City. Hey, let's do something huge on Monday. And we spoke about it a little bit. But um, once we were certain that the baby was going to be here in August, the last thing I want to do is have my mind wrapped around, oh, my God, am I where I need to be? Or should I be back in Chattanooga? Or, and so I just decided maybe we should revisit the idea of doing a big jump in uh, the Buffalo Chip next year for 2020. What some people might not know is you actually handed in your resignation at the end of the race night there in Atlanta. Can you walk us through that and and why you did that and all that fun stuff? Yeah, man, I got to tell you, the last two years of my life have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, you know, because you and I are such pals and, you know, we've been friends for a very long time. But in 1978, my father and I left uh, Somerdale, Alabama and drove 
five or rode 505 miles one way on a brand new 1978 XS 1100 Yamaha in January in the rain to the uh, Astrodome motorcycle flat track races. And once we were there and I got to watch the races, which that year uh, Steve Eklund won the short track, I think, and he may have won both. But anyway, I became an immediate motorcycle flat track fanatic. Uh, right after that, my dad bought me a little YZ80 flat track motorcycle that uh, Van Rayburn, who was our only pro flat track racer from Mobile, Alabama, uh, Van's father had built this little 80cc Yamaha for Van's younger brother, and he kind of outgrew it. And the guy offered my dad a deal that he couldn't turn down, and I had my first flat track race bike. And, you know, the funny thing was, Scotty, back then, uh, all the kids were into motocross. All the kids at school, they wanted flat track, what's that? And I'd laugh, and I'd say, guys, flat track is where you actually turn the throttle and go fast on your motorcycle instead of motocross. And needless to say, that didn't ever really go over that well. But I've been a flat track fanatic um, ever since then. The local Harley dealership down there had an XR750 uh, sitting in the showroom floor. And when my dad would go to the Harley store, I'd always sneak over there and sit on it. And, um, you know, I would I would tuck down and I'd pretend I was – Jay Springsteen or Mert Lawwell or, uh, you know, somebody like that. And I had no desire to jump an XR750, but I wanted to make a living on that motorcycle because I used to draw pictures of it. I just thought it was the greatest looking bike in the world. Um, and unfortunately, um, if you're not raised around flat track all the time, and back then there was nobody in Mobile, Alabama that rode a flat track motorcycle. So uh, I kind of kind of got out of motorcycles for a while and discovered that amazing thing called females and you know you really couldn't go and take girls out on a motorcycle you had to get in the car so I did that whenever I was in high school and always went back to motorcycles I actually got back into racing and I fired up that old YZ uh, 80 even though I was like 19 years old I remember going to flat track <laughs> race one time and I was getting around shockingly well and then believe it or not the very next purchase was a Shell Yamaha X, uh, X, I don't even know what you'd call it. It was a Shell Yamaha 750 twin. I guess wow. they would make them out of XS 650s. But it was in a champion frame, and uh, I guess it was. Heck, I don't know. But, um, you know, you go from a YZ80 flat tracker to a Shell Yamaha 750. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's fun. And, and uh, I rode that quite a few times and actually rode it on a half mile paved track in uh, Pensacola, Florida, where uh, Robbie Bobby lives. Just always been flat track crazy. And so uh, two years ago, I got on board with AFT and they wanted me to be a pit road commentator. And I've never done that before, ever. But I was always a cut up, you know, the way I do my stunt shows, you're there all the time. You you know, I cut up with a crowd. I, I like entertaining. I like asking, uh, you know, crazy questions. And uh, unfortunately, I was kind of thrown to the wolves there. And the equipment would work sometimes, sometimes it wouldn't. And I found it to be a little bit challenging. And I really, really wasn't having a lot of fun doing it. But I was kind of committed, you know. I really wanted to be a part of a uh, flat track and that's the job they gave me and i'm like uh you know i'll do the best that i can and i was struggling you know i wasn't happy with the fact that 
the equipment was holding me back, but the greatest compliment ever given to me was by one of my racing heroes. And that's whenever we went out to Sacramento, um, I was on the infield and the racing had just gotten started and across the track comes John Kosinski and he sees me and I'm like, Holy crap, that's John Kosinski. And man, he comes walking straight over to me, Scotty. He goes, Hey, Hey, you, you, you're my favorite announcer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I thought he was kidding, you know, he says, man, you're great. So you ask all these crazy questions. I love it. You're the best. I, was, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. You know, I'm thinking, wow, John Kaczynski, he, you know, he knows who I am. How cool is that? And uh, the racing, as you know, went really well. And me and you left the racetrack that night, went to, uh, uh, what was that, uh, In-N-Out Burger. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's John again with his, his son, John, who's a absolute stone-cold trip. That little dude is funny as he can be. And uh, we wound <laughs> up, you know, me and you sitting there with John Kaczynski all night long eating In-N-Out burgers and milkshakes, talking about racing. What a fun night that was. Then we fast forward to the end of the year, and around about Thanksgiving, I get this phone call from uh, Gene, uh, who's our boss, Gene Crouch. And uh, Gene calls me up, and he says, hey, uh, are you ready for this? And I'm like, holy crap, man, I'm one and done. I ain't never going to get back at the racetrack again. (laughs) And he goes, no, he says, I got an idea for you. I said, okay. He goes, I want you to be the new flagman. And I, and I sat back for just a quick second. I'm like, what? You know, we already got the best thing flagman out there. Kevin Clark, he's just amazing. And he said, uh, but I got a different plan for flagging this year. And I said, all right, what is it? He goes, rather than just flagging, we want to give you a microphone. You and Scotty interact, cut up with the crowd in between races and, uh, you know, have a lot of fun with it. And I says, well, you know, uh, what about Kevin? And, you know, he told me his side of the story about Kevin and whatever, you know, it's whatever. I I love Kevin to death. I think he's one of the greatest flagmen ever, but this was my opportunity to stay on board. The idea of being more of an entertainer as opposed to asking these canned questions that just bore the hell out of you. I thought, you know, this might be my forte. This might be great. And then, uh, sure enough, as, as we get the year going, obviously Daytona was an absolute disaster. Uh, their microphones don't work worth a crap there. And then we went on from there to a couple different races, and sometimes they would work, sometimes they wouldn't. And it, it just really got to be a pain in the ass, Scotty, I'll be honest with you. You know, uh, American Flight Track is, is an amazing product. It's growing like crazy. And there I am out there doing the best that I can, and sometimes the equipment would work, sometimes it wouldn't, but we're still at the racetrack. We're still having fun. And, and as you well know, I, I stopped trying, you know, if the equipment worked great, we'll do it. If not, damn it, I'm taking this crap off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we just do the races. I absolutely got pissed off. I'm not going to lie to you. So, um, as you well know, I, I, the financial part of, of my life is, uh, much better doing stunt shows, but, I started looking at the long-term goal of being able to be with American Flat Track for the long run. I was even interested in moving down to Daytona, being a part of the program, and uh, thinking about my future with a little less uh, scare factor in there, you might say, because jumping a Harley can make for long nights. And But regardless, uh, 
it stopped being fun. And so we fast forward to this year and uh, they take me out of production and I go straight to competition, which now I'm answering to everybody on the radio with competition. And so I said, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. So went down to Daytona and it was, it was good. We had a good time, but I, you know, me and Sweet Baby did the Steve Nace races. We did Savannah and we did uh, uh, Volusia County, as you well know, because you do them as well. And that was so much fun. I mean, all day long racing one after the other, but it was a blast, Scotty. I had a damn good time. And then we go to the Daytona Speedway, and now we're with the pro program, which is great. I love it. But there's there's a lot of different feeling in the air. And, uh, you know, we, we struggled through it. And I just thought to myself, you know what? It's Daytona. It's the first race of the year. It's always a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, for whatever reason, we never do a walkthrough. It's just kind of throw you out there and see whatever happens. And so we got through it. And then I came home, and our next race was obviously the very next weekend in Atlanta. And I just got to thinking about it. You know, me and Sweet Baby talked about it, and um, I started getting a whole bunch of phone calls for shows again. And they pay a hell of a lot more than waving flags and i just decided scotty i i i'm just not having fun anymore and um i sat down and i wrote a letter on friday night and i decided to be uh truthful and honest as i could be but you know i'm not burning bridges and that, that's not my intention but i spoke the truth i basically was not having fun anymore and uh, it, it, it was hard to write because, you know, my whole life I wanted to be involved with the uh, pro flat track motorcycle racing. And so to write that letter and try to be as honest as I could with myself and with the, uh, with the resignation to Gene, um, you know, I didn't want to be a jerk about it, but I just spoke the truth. And um, so I typed it all out. I printed it, signed it, put it in an envelope, and I took it down to uh, Atlanta and I, you know, we live right up the road. And I just said, well, you know, I'll just go down there early Saturday morning, which is what I did. I got there Saturday and um, put my headset on. I started listening to the radios and listening to all the bitching going on on the radio. And, um, you know, there was, and, and this is my opinion. And again, you know, I'm not trying to burn a bridge or throw anybody under the bus, but, the whole time I was there, while I was trying to set up everything on the front straightaway, there's two guys constantly on the radio trying to make some things happen. And I turn around and I look on the back straightaway, and there was no less than six officials standing there with their hands in their pockets. While everybody else is doing 10,000 different jobs, there's all of this standing around and uh, bitching on the radio and I started feeling better and better about my decision because, Scotty, I absolutely love it. The last two years have been great. To think that I got paid to go to every single pro flat track race for two years in a row, that's, that's just amazing. And I live for things like that. And um, at the end of the night, when it was all said and done, um, you know, the victory lap by, uh, by Brandon, he took the checkered flag and went for a victory lap. I took my... Uh, gloves off and I reached in my backpack and I got my uh, 
I got my letter that was in the envelope, and there stood Michael Locke and Gene Crouch right there at the start-finish line. I walked over to them and said, guys, it's been a heck of a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And I gave Gene my uh, letter, and that was that. So were you relieved to give that letter to him? I mean, did, did it feel good to get that over with? You know, that's a good question. And, and, and the fact is, yeah, it was like I, like I took this big load off my shoulders. And did I like giving them the letter? Hell no. I did not want to do that. But, you know, the good Lord's blessed old Bubba pretty darn good. I have lived my dream. The things that I've done, the places I've been, uh, it's just off the charts. I have lived and I've achieved every goal I ever set out for myself. And I'm not saying that boastfully. I'm saying that thankfully. I live with an extremely thankful heart. Um, I've been blessed to do a lot of cool things. Um, I know for a fact that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a person with mediocre talent at best, but I, I just, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that have presented themselves to me, and I try to take full advantage of them and live them to the fullest, I have no regrets. And I was able to walk away from the event for the simple reason it wasn't fun to me anymore. I wish that it was. And the fact is, Scott, if they were to call me back and offer me a hell of a lot more money, I still don't think I'd go because the the environment is not fun and i don't know what the i don't know what the actual issue is to fix it but you know it's 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 about passion and i do everything in my life with passion if i don't like doing it damn it i just don't do it and you know thankfully i'm in a position where i can be that way um, if i'm not enjoying what i'm doing for a living watch me walk away and do something else. And, you know, luckily I still have the motorcycle stunt riding, jumping and all that cool, crazy stuff that I still enjoy doing very much. <clears throat> and I've got that to fall back on. I have seen with my eyes, people that are involved in American flat track that I don't think have many options and they're not having fun. And it shows. You know, and I don't like dealing with those people. So I have chosen to allow those type of people to waller in their own misery. I'm I'm getting off the bus. I got you. I mean, it, you figured out what you're what you like, what you don't like, and you had the ability to, to move on. So I got a couple more questions about you know, flagging. So what's one thing that the average person like? might not know about a you know a flagman's position like what was the first thing that you learned that you had no idea involving the flagging of a race well um to not worry about what anybody else thinks or says because uh you know to get out there and flag a motorcycle race got a you're a racer i'm a racer i don't know about you but i never ever ever counted laps i was just out there doing the best i could and when i saw the halfway flags or the two-to-go flags, I knew to really make sure I was where I needed to be. And uh, what I do as a flagman, my own personal opinion or my own efforts, I want to make sure that I'm throwing those flags where every single racer can see it. If I'm trying to give them information, 
I want them to see it. I want to be real clear with it. So, yes, it looks like we're really far out there or right in front of the rider. That was never, ever my intention. I had no desire to try to make people think I'm a crazy daredevil by endangering anybody else. And that's simply not what I've done. I simply wanted to make sure I threw a clear flag, really visible to the rider so that when they come by, they see it. The information that I'm trying to relay to them is perfectly clear. And then I'm going to get the heck out of the way. But possibly the most difficult thing is, is counting the laps, making sure that you're throwing the right flag. And um, again, you rely on the people on the radio sometimes. And again, that's where I point out the fact that it was not fun. I got sick and tired of all the egos and assholes on the radio. I got gotcha. you. I make myself clear. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you loud and clear. So like yeah. we talked about earlier, you, you turn in your resignation. So you're focusing on your stunt shows and your jumps. I think the first one I've got in my calendar for you, uh, your, your first jump this year is May 4th, Laurel, Mississippi. Or is that the first one you got in your book? Yeah, that's the first one we've got to do. And, of course, you'll be there. You better be there. But, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, Scotty. It's a, it's a deal. Now, get this. This is so cool. This is a motorcycle store. It's called Hellfighters USA. It's in uh, Laurel, Mississippi, like you said. But it's not a dealership. It's a motorcycle shop. It's a Jeep shop. And uh, it's, it's uh, a company owned by a very successful um, – advertising mogul who did all the information on trying to make a Harley store or whatever. He did uh, all the research and he did all the whatever. And he found out he didn't want to play by their rules. He wanted his own thing. He'd do it how he wanted to. And so I think they sell just used motorcycles, but they, they sell Jeeps. They, they do all these wild modifications to Jeeps, but it's, it's a huge dealership. It looks like the most exciting uh, extravagant Harley Davidson dealership. Heck, it's 80,000 square feet. It's amazing. And so they've been putting off their grand opening for three years. And they called me right before I went down to Daytona and said, man, we've been searching for you. And I'm like, well, dead gum. How hard is it to find me? And said, <laughs> we've got to have you here to do this grand opening. And I says, well, that's easy. All you got to do is find this piece of paper, send me a uh, you know, a deposit and I'm there and by golly, they did it in a hurry. And now it's going to be May the 4th. It'll be right there in the city streets. The uh, governor of Mississippi is going to be there. Uh, Cy Robinson from duck dynasty is going to be there. And, and me and Scotty Dubler is going to be there and he's going <laughs> to announce and I'm going to jump my Harley. Right on. It's going to be so, a blast. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's been a little while since we've d done a jump together. So, I can't wait to get back to it. Um, where can people follow you and find out where you're doing your stunt shows and your jumps? Is the best way to do it on Facebook? Yeah, the best way to do it is on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. But Instagram, I'm HD Jumper on Instagram. Somebody stole Bubba Blackwell. So I'm, in, I'm uh, HD Jumper. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, of course, I got a Facebook fan page and I got regular Bubba fan page, but, or, uh, uh, Bubba Blackwell on the Facebook thing, but I don't, you know, it's kind of full, but uh, I don't really, I don't really do anything with the website anymore, but uh, everything's Facebook. Just check me uh -huh. out on Facebook and uh, Instagram. And of course I do the Twitter thing. And that too is uh HD jumper on Twitter. 
And uh, but other than that, um, I will be. You know, let me let me close it in, in, in this, Scotty. I want to make sure everybody knows I've got no axe to grind with AFT. I absolutely love it. I'm so thankful for all the friendships and the families and racers that I got to meet for the last two years. Um, it's been phenomenal. The racing is the greatest part. Um, and I hope, I hope that AFT makes a gazillion dollars. I hope there's a billion racers at every single race. And I hope things keep going forward and blow up bigger than Texas. The simple fact is, is that, you know, I believe quality of life is so much more important than quantity of life. Bubba's doing just fine up here with Sweet Baby in, in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. Things are great. I will not do anything that I'm not having fun doing, plain and simple. I mean, if I'm not having fun jumping a motorcycle, I wouldn't do it. And uh, the fact is, that's about the only thing I've been in complete control. All of the equipment that I use whenever I do a stunt show works flawlessly. And um, I'm going back to doing that because uh, um, I like having fun. I, I despise not having fun. And I hope that everybody at the races, I hope that everybody that works for AFT has fun. I hope that everything uh, gets a lot more pleasant. Uh, I hope there's a lot more people that don't stand around with their hands in their pockets while everybody else does all the work. And I'm not going to go down the, the avenue of complaining about, um, you know, things turning a, a page to the NASCAR world because, you know, NASCAR, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of intelligence there. If I had only one suggestion to make, my suggestion would be let's try putting in management somebody that's passionate about motorcycles. And, and I'll kind of close with that. All right. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to let you off that easy because, you know, we, we wrap up the episode with Graham's question and, and you know, my Graham oh, loves yeah. you, right? So, so we got to wrap Graham. it up with that. <laughs> she said, can you put into words the feeling of being on the front straightaway, especially on a mile when those bikes are coming to buy at 140 miles an hour? What's that feel like? For a small town Alabama kid that always wanted to be a racer, but didn't have what it took. To stand out there, especially for the 100th running of the Springfield Mile, when those motorcycles come by you at 130, 140, whatever the number is, you're alive, Scotty. I mean, I've been hurt really, really, really bad in my career, as you well know. And it's always been the getting well that reminded you of just how terrible the accidents were. But to stand next to guys that are fulfilling their dreams, racing each other on these big motorcycles, screaming by in packs at 140 miles an hour, you know, I'm not sure there's anything better than sex, but by golly, that's a close second. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get a good answer from you. Uh, so, we're at the, <laughs> so we're at the very end of the episode now. It's time for thank yous. Do you want to say thanks to anybody? I do, man. I, I actually want to say thank you to Gene Crouch for giving me all the, uh, you know, the opportunities he did. And he's a great guy. And I really am grateful for uh, Gene and his efforts for the last two years. I, I hope that things get nothing but better for him. Um, but yeah, I want to say thank you very much to Harley Davidson Motor Company because they've always stood behind me. Dunlop tires has always been my choice, even in road racing. I couldn't believe how awesome Dunlops are. Um, you know, I want to say thank you to Dunlop for all the years and, uh, um, they still support me to this day. And, um, 
But mostly I want to say thank you to all the AFT fans for accepting me. I know some of them gave me a ration of crap, but that's okay. When they're talking about you, that means you're doing it right. And uh, thanks for letting me have two years. And, um, you know, there's just been so darn many, you know, thanks to all of them. But, but in all honesty, Scotty, uh, probably one of the biggest people that I got to thank for these last two years is you. Um, you offered me up as an opportunity. And you stood good for me, and, and I hope that I didn't let you down. And I've had an absolute freaking blast. It's been the greatest thing ever. Um, but, you know, there's a time when you got to step off when you're not having fun anymore, and that time's come. But uh, I'll, I'll be watching absolutely every single uh, fanschoice.tv race. Uh, watch as many of the NBC events as I can. Um, but um, basically just thanks to everybody that listens and thanks to – uh, you guys for this podcast, I listen to every single one of them. I may not be every Friday, but I will always go back and check them all out. But, um, you know, thanks to God, you know, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ has had this old redneck boy doing some amazing things. And without him having his uh, hand on my shoulder, I'm not sure I would have survived this long. Right on. Bubba, thank you so much for the kind words. You're, you're a true friend. We've been friends for a long, long time, and I know that's going to continue on uh, the rest of our lives for sure. And I uh, can't wait to see you on uh, May the 4th, Laurel, Mississippi. That's right. Thanks for your, thanks for right. your time, Bubba. You're great, man. Thanks for what you guys are doing. Off the Groove is awesome, and uh, I'll be watching you guys in Texas. Have a great evening. Wow. 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 Yeah. Exactly. He's uh, wow. He's got his <laughs> he's got his own opinions. And wow. He wasn't happy anymore. It's time to make a change. Yeah. I definitely. I mean, hats off to Bubba. Dude knew his limits, and he's out. I uh, I didn't expect that on the call. I mean, but hats off to him for being real, being raw, and telling it like it is. Um, that's what this is, right? An opportunity for everybody to tell their story and their, their position. And, uh, you know, it's a bummer that, that that had to come to an end for him. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, he knew his limits and called it quits, I guess. Yeah, and his schedule's getting busy. A lot of, lot of stunt shows coming up. A lot of jumps coming up on the Harley. And, man, I'm just excited for him. And, and uh, he's doing what he loves again. And I think I think he'll be in a better place. Yeah, I want who, who's Big P. Is that what I hear? Big P? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's what we're hearing. Maybe we can get Big P on and talk to him down the road. What do you think? P on. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know. Like, I don't even know if that's real. It came from Kevin Clark, you know. It's Kevin Clark. Well, that's exactly what I heard, too. But I wasn't going to let him say it first. All right, that's cool. I mean, dude, I can't wait to see who it is. Like, if if he has any, he'll probably have his own flair. He'll probably do his own thing. It'll be cool to see what he brings to the position. I think his his nickname is Tiny. So Tiny P. Pretty big. I don't know. It's it's Big P, but I, they big. also call him Tiny. So he must be a pretty big old boy. Okay, I love it. Usually when you're called Tiny, you're a big old boy, which I love. I love that gag, dude. It'll be awesome to see what, you know, what anybody brings to it. Hell, one day maybe you should go out and flag. Maybe I go out in there and flag. Everybody should get to flag. Hold on a second. Let's talk about your first day when I drug you onto the straightaway oh, at one of those racetracks and you were shaking like a little schoolgirl. There's no way I would ever make it as a flagger. I almost shit okay, my pants I, when I, I was just, out there. Like it was, it I was just want the end I of that, say that. Yeah, it was the end of the pit walk and, and like we got caught on the track. And yeah, no, that was, was Black Hills. I think it was Rapid City. Yeah, Black Hills Speedway. And, and you know, they're not even going, they're maybe going 100, 110 maybe. 
and you wouldn't even get anywhere near the flag, man. I'm like, come on, come I still on. shit my pants. And you, yeah. You were holding the camera because we we're still on uh, Facebook Live. You could probably like go through and figure that. It's on. Wait, is it on your YouTube? It's on your YouTube, I think. Yeah. It's on one of my YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah you could YouTube probably find channel. that somewhere today. And I'm like, I'm giggling like a little schoolgirl. I'm terrified. Shake, like, shaking. Shaking like crazy. That was one of my favorite experiences, though, while I was doing that for sure, being out there and uh, seeing that stuff up close like that with Ray Rizzo. And uh, we were out there, and I was I was losing it. That was, that was losing my mind. That was great. Now you know what they do week in and week out. Crazy shit. I don't think I could ever put it into words either. I think Bubba and Kevin's uh, hearing them talk about it was pretty cool. Probably my favorite part of both interviews was hearing them explain what that's like and um, what the position meant to both of them. So um, whoever's next, uh, look forward to seeing what they do and uh, what they bring to the sport and uh, and maybe growing that flag position even more. Absolutely. So guess what, Carter? What? I got a weekend off and I booked eight weekends solid. A weekend off? What do you get to do on your weekend off? I'm going, dan- I'm going dancing. You're going dancing. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah tonight. What do you do? What kind of dancing? I'm going with my girl Shelly. Yeah. And we're taking my daughter and her boyfriend, and yeah. we're going to a club. Like what? Like salsa dancing? Like what kind of dancing? It's called gro- It's called Groovies, and so I think it's like 70, Groovies? 80. Scotty's gonna go cut a rug. I love it. You should post some uh, Snapchats and Instagram stories from your from your dancing night. Uh, negative Ghost Rider. No, do it. Nobody wants to see this. Robbie Bobby would do it. Yeah, he would do it in a speedo. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's wrap this up, dude. I, I mean. Yeah, I gotta start getting ready for tonight. I'm going dancing. All right, man. Go cut a rug. I'm gonna try. Yeah. Don't that break in. Carpet. Don't break anything. That, that shag carpet back then. I don't know what's in there, so. We'll don't see. break anything. I'll try not to. Hey, Carter. What? Smash that like button. I don't have to. Tell, tell all your friends. They will. Give us a follow and off the groove. We like follows. We like comments. We like suggestions. We like anything. Who are we going to talk to next week? Oh, man. I don't know. That's like seven days away. Okay. We'll have to let people wonder. Sometimes it's okay to let people wonder. Do you have anybody in mind? Nah. Okay, then. You and everybody else will have to wait. <laughs> I love it, Carter. All right, man. I'm out. Hopefully, I, I don't get hit by any cars this week. Yeah, I got to get take care of my rear end, take my car in, go to the doctor. <sighs> it could be worse. It could always be worse. Keep it on two wheels. You keep it on four. All right. I'm out. Bye. I'm done. I quit. Peace. Peace.